0: all right what's up everybody this is jacob here over at sawyer saloon and i have with me the very talented seth Hartley. seth how are you doing today
1: i am doing fantastic jacob how are you i'm doing excellent man uh so
0: seth is one of the guys that's going to be coming to the laughing out loud comedy showcase and putting on a crying eagle in lake charles and uh so seth how long have you been doing comedy
1: man i started when i was freshly 17 years old it was a good day uh <laughs> And then I did stand-up twice. The first time I did awesome, and the second time I was like, well, I'm a comedian now, so anything I say (laughs) is going to be amazing. So I did it a second time and bombed. And I mean bombed so hard, I, like, B Rabbit, like, 8 Mile, and, like, just stopped and dropped the mic and went out and threw up. Like, (laughs) it wasn't good. So then I quit for four years. So technically 17, but really probably 21. So probably about 10 years now. Wow, damn, I didn't realize you'd been at it that long. Yeah, and I've also had times of quitting, so I moved to Colorado for three years. I quit the whole time there because you don't, you don't have to do comedy to find a drug dealer. There's just drug dealers at every corner. So I was like, wow, that kind of cut out what I needed. That was the only reason I did comedy, to let people know I was cool. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So they're like, because I look like a cop. You know, I look definitely like a cop. So do you. You and I walking around together, no one's ever going to sell us weed. They're literally going to think we're going to be arrested. I'm not
0: gonna lie though. I think that would be probably the funniest buddy cop movie if you and if you and I went around.
1: <laughs>
0: I, I mean, Starsky it. and Hutch, no competition.
1: I don't yeah, two two comedians set out to find drugs or to bust drug dealers, and the way they're doing it is through the comedy scene.
0: Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> oh
1: man, that's, that's awesome. Like a twenty one jump street. That's like a that's like, but since I'm old it'd be like a thirty one jump street. Right. Like,
0: yeah i'd be like ah yeah this is actually my dad
1: yeah i i adopted him yeah Uh, that's That's awesome so what what was
0: what was like the first joke that you ever wrote
1: man the first joke that i ever wrote and i've ever told and i still tell it because it's my favorite uh i got held up i got robbed at a smoothie king that i was working at when i was in high school uh yeah so that was that was kind of the oh my gosh i loved comedy so i was i was part of the i started watching the family dinner so i'm part of the family dinner improv group as well now but when i was 15 i started watching them i didn't know stand-up comedy was even a thing in baton rouge i started watching the family dinner fell in love with them and wanted to do improv and then thought i wanted to do stand-up but didn't have any stories or any any ideas really All I'd ever seen was, I used to love Jeff Fox for the billing ball when I was a kid. So it was all, I was like, they have families and they talk about mortgages and shit. Like, I don't, I don't have that. So finally, you know, on this fateful day when I was 17, I get robbed at a Smoothie King. And the next day I had to skip school and go take pictures for senior year. So I was senior in high school. So I was taking the senior pics, you know, like in all the, in your Mm -hmm. tuxedo and whatnot. Uh, but the school had heard about the robbery and thought that I skipped school because I was like traumatized or some shit. So when I get back to school Monday, uh, I went to a Catholic school. So our religion teacher pulls me aside and pulls me with the the counselor. And it's like, Hey, we know you've been through this. Like we understand it's going to be traumatizing and it's going to be difficult. So if you're ever feeling like some PTSD, just come into my guidance counselor office and you know, you can hang out. And so I started just abusing the shit out of it immediately. Like if I had a test and I was like, oh, I didn't study. And I'm like, oh, flashbacks, I'm getting robbed. I would go take a nap in her office. So (laughs) then after that, uh, the school kind of started to catch on a little bit. You know what I mean? They're Mm -hmm. like, I think this guy's using it for bad reasons. So my religion teacher asked me to speak in front of my religion class and to tell them how my faith in Jesus got me through being robbed. And I was like, uh, I had no idea. So I just told the story of what happened to me. And by the end of it, my teacher is like crying, laughing. And so was the class. And he was like, hey, man, you really need to go do stand-up. And so that weekend, I went and signed up. And I did stand-up the next, I did an open mic the next week with that same story about how I got robbed at a Smoothie King. So it's, uh, I, I still tell it. I Because for me, I'm a storyteller. Mm-hmm. And some stories people want to hear, like every so often, I'll have a friend be like, hey, man. Remember the time you got robbed? I'm like, you want me to say the whole thing or you want me to just give you some cliff notes, you know? Like, I, I can jump into the bit if you want me to. It's there. Or I can just be like, oh, I was robbed. It ended. He lived. I lived. And now he's in jail forever. But not for me. It's a different story. Come to the show and find out, maybe.
0: Yeah, there you go. That's an awesome party trick, though, man. Like, I, I'm sure you get this. I've, I, I don't know what it was, but th- I went to Houston. Right. <clears throat> this past couple of days. And so... Lit- I've had, I had every single person that came up there went, all right, man. So come on, tell us a joke. Yeah. Cause t- tell us a joke. And I'm like, I, I mean, it's not, it's not, I mean, I don't know how you do it, but like, I, I mean, you tell stories, so it's like, it's not right, easy. Right. It's all like, <laughs> it's all prepped out and it's all like, every little thing is is tuned in just right. So that way you know when you're going to stop talking, when you're going to let the tone you do, make the laughter, when you're going to do all of that stuff. Not just like, you know, when it's, when it's 10 o'clock, I'm sorry. It's like one o'clock at the bar and someone comes up to you. And is like, Hey, well, why
1: don't you tell me a joke, man? And you're right. like, uh, I'm trashed. I can't. <laughs> it's the worst part is that they're expecting you to have some sort of like a guy walks into a bar or like a priest and a Jew or some crazy shit like that. And it's like, dude, at this point, I really think the aliens put those jokes here. Because I don't have, I don't know, they're not attributed to anybody. I don't think anyone's ever come up and be like, hey, man, I'm, I'm the priest joke guy, you know? Mm-hmm. Or like even Boudreau and Thibodeau jokes, like for down here. It's just so, were they just, were they written on a stone, you know, like on some old p and someone's like, ah, I found the Ten Commandments of Boudreau and Thibodeau. Like, I just, I don't know what you expect. Those jokes exist and I don't know who writes them. I've never thought of one of those ever. I've never right. sat there. You know what'd be cool? You know, if a seagull flew into a window, and then some whatever else happens. Like, I just I don't I can't do it that way.
0: Yeah, it's uh that's that's funny though. So, wait, so that's kind of like talking about the process. So, like, what is your process for like writing material and coming up with different
1: jokes? Uh, oh, it's it's more, uh, <laughs> and I feel bad for everyone who's in uh, my vicinity all the time because. I just workshop it on everybody. I just, I'll usually just tell somebody about something that happened to me a few weeks ago or a few months ago, or like a few of my good friends. You know, all we ever do is just talk shit. You know, like you don't, no matter how old you are, you're not talking about your mortgage. You're not talking about your job. You just don't. You just talk about the shit that happened to you in your life. And so we'll go back and forth. Like a a good buddy of mine, Tommy, most of my best jokes came from him and I bullshitting back and forth about a story that happened to me. And we just, we just keep going. And he's very good at asking me, uh, like, detail that an audience would like. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Sort of like, oh, well, what, what about this part? What about, you know, uh, this thing? Or what happened here? Or what did that guy do? And I'm like, oh, shit, I forgot about that guy. That guy's central to this goddamn story. Thank you for reminding me about this guy. Um, so I do that. I mean, I really just talk to everybody. And then sometimes, I, you know, I do, like, a, a call center exit survey. I'm like, so of what I just said, what did you find amusing? music? Uh, if there was anything, if I'm annoying you now, just punch me in the face and I'll leave. You know, it's it's uh, I, I definitely call center people and I just try, I try to workshop everybody that I can. Um, and three out of ten, you know, I, I talk a lot. I never shut up, as you can obviously tell. But look, if I'm if I'm batting over 300, I'm in the majors. So I'm just I'm throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks.
0: Uh, yeah. And if you're <laughs> just constantly not talking, uh, if you're just constantly talking like that, man, you're going to have so much stuff to pull from. And like just constantly batting it off of people like that, that's what you want. You want like the, oh, the oh. so much quantity that you could sit there and like, okay, this was actually funny, pull out the quality right. stuff and then Boy, use that uh, on stage.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting because I pulled from my own life. And if you think about how you could not narrate the past two weeks of what just happened to you at all. I mean, in any sort of correct context. And so you forget about all these little things until something way later on down the line reminds you of this one specific event that may have happened to you three days ago that I've forgotten for now until, you know, 10 years from now, which probably didn't make any sense for me saying it. I almost like tenanted myself there, but that's what I'm doing. I I just, I like to mind my own life. You know, I like to mind things that happen to me. I've got aging grandparents, you know, I've lost a parent. I have nieces and nephews now that want to know stories about their parents, you know? So like my nieces and nephews are both eight, two of the oldest ones. And so they're very interested in knowing how my dad murdered, how I was, or whatever. So I'm trying to remember these things that other people are, you know, helping me on earth, because they're asking me questions. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, that happened that this happened. So it's definitely fun. And it, it, it's fun to reminisce sometimes, you know? Oh, absolutely.
0: So you said so you, she said you lost your dad. How long ago was that?
1: No, I lost my, my mom.
0: You lost your mom. Okay, sorry. It cut out there for a little second.
1: Oh, no, it's it's <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Uh, two and a half years ago. Gotcha. Okay.
0: Because I, I lost my dad 10 years ago. Oh, wow, man. So it's like, but, there, but like you said, like, it, it's a cool way to, like, we always have those stories that anytime we think about them, like, we go back to. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, Yeah, and those are the stories that we laugh about, and that's what you remember, you know? And so that, I, I think that's super important to be able to remember that because that just, I don't know, it makes life so much more worth it because you're like, hey, I oh, had oh. that person, the memories, and that relationship, and that's something special that you can find. And I think that's something awesome that comedy does because you can pull that out.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you think about what was that movie, The Giver or the book too, The Giver, mm-hmm. where only one person gets to have the wealth of knowledge of the history of what they've all been through. I mean, sometimes I think of comedians as some of the best historians, you know, when you look at certain things, because everybody looks at the 60s and 70s and it's like, what was George Carlin saying? You know, I well, who was the guy who was who was getting that? I think in our generation, a lot of people are going to look to what Bill Burr said about the world. Mm-hmm. about what he commented, you know, you always look at, basically, like, you look at the angriest comedian, and you're like, what really pissed that guy off? Like, yeah. that's the tipping point of, like, where, where the sensibility scale lies for comedy. So it's 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 kind of fun being, being a historian of sorts. Um, and it's an ancient thing, you know, even back to being a jester. A jester mm-hmm. was the only one who could fucking make fun of the king. Only one. Only one who got to do it. He had to be funny, though, or he got yeah. killed. So, I mean, that's... That's your true audience. But I mean, that guy got to go around and be a jackass. So even the richest people, even the height of society, lowest society, people needed to laugh. So Absolutely. And that, that's our job, man.
0: Yeah. What? Uh, who? Who's your favorite comedian? Besides okay. yourself.
1: <laughs> Myself. I, watching my own videos is such hurt. Because <laughs> you're just like, I could have done it this way. I could have done it that You know, you, you're your own most critic. I, like I said, I love Bill Burr. John <laughs> Mulaney. Uh, being a Catholic kid, you know, growing up that way, I think uh, sometimes so annoying how perfectly he gets it because I'm like, I don't think I can even touch that topic because you crushed it. Like, mm-hmm. there's no way I'm, I'm everything I'm coming up with after that is just shit. Uh, and he's so, I mean, he's so funny. But like I said, growing up, I like Jeff Foxworthy, uh, Bill ball, just those guys. It was really what my parents allowed me to listen to because at the age of six, I was asking for comedy CDs. A parent, I don't remember. This was what was told to me that I was just burning through. Uh, Jeff Foxworthy CDs when I was a kid, and so they were like, "Well, he's not going to say anything weird," and the most offensive thing you can call somebody is a redneck. From this, so we're going to let him. Yeah. We'll let them, We'll let him listen to this. They weren't. Oh my goodness! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I would
0: have never expected you to have been a blue collar comedy tour kind of guy. You know.
1: Yeah, man. And their stories. So in the nexus of it, I guess, for my basis, they're storytellers. I mean, those guys all told a lot more stories, but they did have that subset of jokes. You know, you might be a redneck was a perfect little pipeline to put Mm -hmm. jokes in. But beyond that, the same with Bill Ingvall. He had his own little tag. Uh, Here's your sign, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's your sign. Uh, And after that, I got Dane Cook. So I was talking to someone about that. And I used to I used to have so much more energy on stage. And I'm getting back to that. So you're going to see more more moving around because it is fun but forever I, ch- I purposely changed my style because I loved Dane Cook and then all that stuff happened where people were accusing him of stealing jokes and all that sort of thing and he kind of fell out of favor for so long and so I hated it when people called me that mm-hmm. um, because that was I was I was around 16 17 when I wanted to start and that was when he was really huge so everyone was like oh you want to do it to be just you just want to be Dane Cook you just want to tell your little story on stage just like him and for me, I was like, well, it kind of goes further than that. And I'm just a very, I have a lot of energy, so I'm sorry. You know what I mean? It was, it was just one of those things where it kind of happened at the same time and everyone's like, you're doing it because of that. And so then I really tried to change my style differently. And, uh, yeah, I mean, part of it is being true on stage. You know, I mean, you know that, man. The, the more yeah. authentic you are, the better it is. So yeah. starting to get back to that. And so, you got so that's
0: to- something I can relate to because whenever I, whenever I started, like, I'm a, I love Sebastian Maniscalco like oh, that, yeah. okay. that, that's my favorite comedian but he's like he's very like on the stage like very physical going after it so I had to pull myself back a lot because I would find myself like you know practicing or even on stage and I'd do like a move or something and I'm like okay I saw him do that that's not that like you said you got to be authentic with it but it's so weird how like whenever you watch a comedian and you see kind of what works with them when in the beginning that's what I did like I'd watch different comedians and I'd be like okay what is he doing? How is it working? And how can I do it in my own way to where it's like I'm still doing like it's still authentic to me, but maybe like he's setting up a different type of joke and right. you know, then like learning how to pause like they do. Like I remember I watched a Kevin James special and he it's the same as like King of Queens. Like he yep. was saying stuff that it was it was it was kind of funny, but he would just sit there and just Yeah, it's like hear the headlines, and it just made it so funny. And I was like, how is he doing that? So just, like, kind of figuring that out and uh, – but also make it, like you said, keeping it authentic to yourself to where you're not copying off after somebody else. Because you don't yeah. want that, you,
1: know, you want to be <sighs> – your so you're up there. That's the worst, <laughs> that's the worst feeling. Uh, there's actually – I mean, I had it more recently. There was a joke. I had it – it was a joke I had it called Titties in the Wild,
0: mm-hmm.
1: where when you, act, when you see a boob you weren't supposed to see that's the best boob. Like, that's just – in general, but not, like, in a creepy way. Like, you're not looking for the boob, you know? It's unexpected. Like, I was not promoting at all voyeurism <laughs> or peeping tomism, or anything-isms of the sort. But it's just like, oh, like, that's really cool. I was like, you can, you know, you can be 80 years old and be an Alzheimer's patient, and, you know, your daughter walks in the room, and you're like, oh, I don't know, and then all of a sudden, her boob falls out, and you're like, that's so cool, booby! And then you're like, I remember my first titty. It was... You know, Evangeline McCormick, and it was at a sock hop, and she went to tie her shoe, and I became a man. And then, you know, he's totally lucid, because that's just something crazy. That's, anyway, so I saw Mark Norman, who's actually a comedian from New Orleans, did a joke similar. He did it on, like, The Tonight Show, and it was totally, obviously, separate. Just anyone who, any guy who thinks about boobs for a certain amount of time is going to come to that thought at some point and be like, that's a cool boob to see. So he did it. And then after that, I was like, well, I can't. And he did it, obviously, way better than I did because he's who he is. Um, But I didn't want to see, even though it was authentic to me, I still didn't want anyone to think that I had ever ripped it from that guy, you know? And it sucks because there are those times when you have a joke and you see a bigger person do it on TV or do it at a big stage, and you're like, well, we'll see you later, you know? Or you got to, like, really flip it. You got to be like, I got to do something totally Mm -hmm. as different or it really is the same joke. And not to say that these people come down to see, it's not that at all, it's just, there's only so many things to think about. And, right. you know, as comedy predominantly dudes, mostly straight dudes, we think about boobs quite often. So, right, it, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, boobs and farts, man, that's. <laughs> <laughs> the, two, the two number one things that run through my mind every day, boobs and farts. and farts. That's true, and then <laughs> food every so often, but only so the food can turn into farts.
0: Right, that's...
1: exactly, it's all a process. It's a process. <laughs>
0: That's awesome, man. So okay, so you're out in uh you're out in Baton Rouge. What's what's the scene like in Baton Rouge? Because don't you run a uh open mic over there?
1: Yes. So we run pretty much the only open mic in Baton Rouge right now. So that's Wednesday nights at the station. We start basically between eight and nine. Just try to get the audience in there. It's a free show. It's a cool bar. They have great drink specials. We want everybody to kind of hang out and get the feel for it. Because once the room you've been there, once the room gets going, it's it's pretty fun. It starts to get rocking and rolling. So And that's a cool room that y'all have. The best way to, to get a roller coaster to move is using some lubricating oil. You know what I'm saying? So get that lubrication in you, and we'll get this roller coaster started. If yeah. That dry, that dry metal you don't want that. You want to get that, get that right. Going. Get the juices flowing. Um, but then, so this week Tuesday night at Squeaky Pete's, there will also be they're starting an open mic there, um, and that I also believe is at 7:30, 8 o'clock. So we'll have a Tuesday and a Wednesday show in Baton Rouge right now. Um, Room for More, so we have the improv group as well. So there's the Family Dinner, which I'm a part of, as well as Vaughn Veyon, who's in the scene as well. He runs a show with me on, or I run the show with him, really, on Wednesdays at the mm-hmm. station. And uh, then there's Latco Leather Apron uh, Long Form Improv. So they do shows on Fridays as well. So we try to keep Fridays open for the improv groups. Yeah. It's kind of just what we do. And then we do a once-a-monthly show uh, at the station for mm-hmm. headliners. There will be another one June 25th coming up which is going to be josh watts of baton rouge morgan wright uh, and vaughn bayon and i might be hosting i can't remember right offhand. things emails get sent sometimes they not everything's approved just yet so you know i don't i don't know if i'm giving you guys insider information or not let me put it that way i might have broken some nda and owe somebody nine dollars i'm not sure we'll see
0: damn well hopefully you're not in prison by the time the show comes around
1: Oh man, that would be, I think I can afford the $9 though. That fine. I don't, I, I hope it's, I hope it's not jail time and a fine. I hope it's either or, you know? Right, I'll right. Take, oh, hold on. Or I might take the 19 minutes in jail and write a bit about it. I think I can get a tight five out of a loose 19 in jail. You know what I'm saying? I, I think
0: so. Absolutely. Yeah. I think you could definitely get that done.
1: So I might, I might take the quick arrest, which I have done. I don't know. I don't know if you've ever done it. And answer me this. Have you ever done something and your thought going into it was like, I think this is going to be a great story. You know what I mean? I was almost like a journalist. Like, I'm here for the scoop. Like, I'm here for the scoop of what's about to happen. I, it's just the recipe for disaster is already here. I just got to, like, latch on and get ready for the ride.
0: Hey, so you're talking about, like, like, going up on stage and doing a bit or like, hey, I'm going to do this because I think this is going to be a good story.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, like in real life. I mean, in real life, has something ever come up and you're like, in your brain, you said probably not the greatest idea, but then the second part of your brain, which is the depressive, crazy part, which is the comedy part, was like, "Hey man, this is gonna be some cool shit, and no one else can say this that they've done anything like this, so I'm gonna hop on."
0: Oh man, Uh, yeah, I remember one time. This was years ago. I was ever at my buddy's house, and they're like, "Dude, let's let's go get a sign, a street sign." And I was like, hey, why not? And for a second, I was like, okay. Uh, I should probably go home uh, because I know that if I go home, I was still living with my mom at the time. I was like, yeah, she's going to be pissed <laughs> off if I come home with this sign. And, uh, and But then, like you said, that little other part came up, and I was like, you know what? Let's go get a sign.
1: Let's so we went it. and grabbed the
0: baseball bat, and we drove to Sulphur. And uh, we, so the way that we did it was we took the bat, And we hit, the, because the sign makes an X, you know, on top. We hit it on one side, and we would just sit there and hit it till it flew off. First one we couldn't get off because uh, Mm -hmm. somebody came outside with the shotgun and yelled, what the fuck are y'all doing? But it was was South Louisiana talk, so it was like, what the fuck are y'all doing? And then so we just hopped in the truck and ran. And uh, eventually went to go get another sign. And uh, as I was moving out of my house a year ago, uh, she did find the sign and was like, you know this is illegal. And I was like, it's what it is, Mom. But, what, what, what streets was it? Uh, you know, man, I, I don't remember. Uh, that's something they can put in the police report, honestly. Okay, I uh, see.
1: You see? You see? That's why I have to get on stage so you don't think I'm a narc. You were nervous to tell me. I, I was. Still, I'm still a little nervous about posting. I may not. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Too much like that Popo. That's That's funny. I've stolen a couple signs in my day. Stolen a couple signs.
0: All right. well, what, so, hey, so what about you? What, what's something that you've done that you were like, ah, I probably
1: shouldn't do this, but went for the story? Man, I uh, got married in Vegas. <laughs> Wait, what? The prime example. Yeah, man, I, I married. I got married to this chick in Las Vegas. That's yeah. a little <laughs> more
0: permanent than stealing the sign. I, mean,
1: uh, I got an annulled. <laughs> That's annulled. good. My mom's Catholic, so she didn't. She did. She was really upset when she found out. So she made me get an annulment, which is a little more expensive than a divorce. But you know, I sprung for the extra money for God. Sprung for the extra money for God. Well, it just cracks me up that annulment divorce. Like all of a sudden, God's like, "Oh, you didn't like." He's such a bureaucrat that he's like, "You have the wrong paperwork here. I don't. No, I need. I need this other one for you guys to get into heaven." But yeah. you know, I played by the rules. But no, she. Uh, it was right when I moved to Denver, Colorado. So I had moved and I, I, it was hard meeting people at first. Like when you move to a totally new area, I knew one guy. uh, And he's the guy who convinced me to move out there. He said, Hey man, you can come live on my floor. And so I did. I went to live on his floor and he said, we'll find a place together here and we'll get an apartment. I said, cool. And he was a single guy and he's like, we're going to go out and do the town. But every so often his ex-girlfriend would come and hang out. You know what I'm saying? And then uh, a month into me, over there he's like hey you know my ex-girlfriend I was like yeah he said, I think we're gonna get back together I was like oh that's cool and he's like yeah because I got her pregnant and I was like oh and he's like so you got to move out <laughs> I was like, oh. <laughs> so the only person I know out there has just now kicked me out of their fucking house so <laughs> I move into an apartment with one of my boss's sons which was cool I guess yeah uh, it was it was, a jo- it was a job I got drug tested at but his son was like shaggy from Scooby-Doo, like sounded like him. Biggest pothead on earth. And I'm like, dude, you are you're putting me into a trap. You know what I mean? That would be yeah. like someone who's like a sexaholic being roomed up with hookers. It's like, dude, what the fuck are you trying to do? I can't, come on, man. I just give him a little bit of money. He gives me what I want. I'm, I'm going to do it. Like, you're not going to, it's like putting a heroin addict in charge of a factory of needles. Like they're going to yeah. do Terrible. So I move out and I was having trouble meeting people. So I ended up meeting this girl at the gym and we started hanging out a little bit. And 28 days after we met, we were out at this restaurant bar thing uh, called Gaslamp in Denver. We're sitting in the corner and she's talking to me and she's like, so what got you to move out to Colorado? And uh, in truth, I moved away from Louisiana for a while. I had actually been engaged to a girl. I dated to go for four years from 20 to 24. We got engaged. Things didn't work out. Somebody didn't want to grow up, uh, so you know that whole chestnut—you know the old age-old story of life: man can't grow up, becomes Peter Pan, flies away to Neverland, and marries Tinkerbell. You know that kind of thing. Uh, so yeah, I moved away, and I said, "Look, I—I I moved away because I had to get away from this bad engagement. You know, whatever." I said we broke it off. She goes, "Why?" And I said, "Well, we weren't right for each other. A lot of it was my fault, to be fair." I said she also became Bridezilla at the end. Like anything I said. She was just like, Why don't you pay for it then? I'm like, You asked me to help with the flowers. I don't want flowers. I don't give a shit about flowers. Like, it doesn't matter to me. But it got kind of that way. And so she's like, Yeah, you know, uh, I don't like a big wedding. And I was like, Yeah, after that mess, I said, I, I, I just want a small wedding. She's like, well, My parents elope. And I said, Yeah, that sounds awesome. I think that's, that's what I would do. And she goes, Well, do you want to elope? And I said, I just told you, Yeah, that's, that's what I would do. It sounds awesome. And then in this bar, she got down on one knee and she goes, No. Will you marry me? And I said, my exact answer was, well, fuck it. <laughs> so we were out on this Friday night and, you know, we were drinking smoking, and everything. So it was Colorado. Right. Next day I have to go to, our, I sold cards at the time. Cause she was like, well, let's go now. And I was like, I got to work tomorrow. Like I can't miss work for my wedding. You know what I mean? Like I gotta, gotta go. And so I, 100% thought in the morning we were going to wake up and be like, ha, 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 you asked me to marry you. That's so funny. We were so drunk. How stupid of us. And then that was going to be life, you know? Like, that was Right, it. yeah. It was a weird fever it dream after that. that. So I'm at work, and I'm getting these text messages, and she's like, just bought a dress, LOL. And I'm like, I thought she was kidding. She put LOL at the end. That's what I thought. She I was bought like, a whole-ass oh,
0: dress and everything.
1: That's what she says. And then she's like, oh, what time would you want to get married by sunset or this time, this time? And I was like, let's do sunset again, being a total, just thinking it's hilarious. I'm just thinking we're LOL and through this whole, you know, I, when am I ever serious ever, you know? Right. So I'm thinking this girl picks up on my vibes of like, ah, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So she's like, okay, got us the chapel six 30 it's booked. And I was like, whatever. And she's like packing me. She's like, I'm packing you a bag and I'll come get you from work. We're going to leave after work. Or no, she's like, we're, we're going to go get a, celebra- a celebration dinner after work. So I was like, cool. I thought we were just going to like have a joke dinner. So I get done with work that day. Get over. I, there's a, a whole ass bag packed in her car. And she's like, we're going get steak dinner. And then we're driving to Las Vegas tonight. And I was like, <laughs> and I, just, I go through my head and I'm like, man, I, I just got out of You know what I mean? Like, I was just... Yeah. Four years and 28 days, you know, 28 days later, for real. And Yeah, then, that's you know, even scarier like, than
0: the movie.
1: It, it was a little scary. a little scary. But I was like, she was very cool. We were good friends. And I was like, this is the only person I even know in this area. <clears throat> I was damned if I was going to move back home. Moving back home was not happening. Right. Everybody on earth at the time was like, you're not going to make it five months, four months, six months. Because me and my mom were very close. And one reason I did move was because I had never done adult things for myself, like cut my own meat for dinner. You know, I had moved away, and I still came home every week. My mom did all my laundry, folded all my clothes, made food for me, packed it up. I wasn't a grown man. I really was a child. So I moved away, and I was like, I'm either – I'm going to go off into the woods like it's Rome. I'm just going to go out <laughs> there and starve and die, or I'm going to you know, flourish. But I'm never coming back. Here, i mean i'm back now but that's a totally different reason but yeah that sort of thing now i know how to like do do the laundry even but so we drove to vegas man and and we got married and, wow that's... And was, now that's there is more to that story and that could be the story that i tell which because very funnily uh tomorrow would be the anniversary of our wedding
0: <laughs> damn now well, hey uh, here's here's to you man Here's the anniversary.
1: I don't have a drink. Here we go. Empty cup. Uh, there we go. <laughs> so, yes, well, that, awesome. that's been one of those things where I did it and it was just, like, it was fun.
0: That's a lot cooler than stealing a sign, I'm going to be honest with you.
1: Man, it, that that that's one of those stories that, Everyone has people, I mean, made, they make movies about, you know, getting married in Vegas to a stranger and stuff because it yeah. is this crazy, stupid thing. And I've always heard of people who were like, you know, f- you know, six degrees of, of Kevin Bacon. I've heard those stories. Oh, I knew a guy who knew a guy who did it. And so then all of a sudden when I was the guy who they knew did it, it, it got to be pretty <laughs> funny for a while. Cause for like the first year I would, when I would go back home to visit, like I would come home from Mardi Gras, I would have people, I had seven years old was the last time I saw him I'm like, Hey man, I, uh, you got married in Vegas. Is that true? Is that true? you tell me about it? And so I would, and I think they just did it for their own story so they could go tell all their buddies at work be like, hey, man, I know a guy. Oh, yeah. Like, I became their water cooler story. You know what I mean? Like, that was... You became the jester. I became the jester. Yeah, exactly. Full circle. Full circle. Full circle. What got you into it, Jacob? I am curious. What got you into comedy? So
0: I... <clears throat> so let's see. So I was originally going to go to law school whenever I was in college, whenever I started college. Oh, and so, so for second, sec- my second year, so it was my sophomore year of college, I worked at a law firm, uh, loved the people there, didn't really like the whole law environment. So I was like, what, what am I going to do? So I had a buddy of mine who had started his own company where he sold like fishing shirts and all kinds of stuff. So I was like, okay, that's cool. Maybe I could do business stuff. So I started a company I I worked for him for, for 6 months. And then he fired me because I was a terrible salesman and I knew nothing about fishing, which is <laughs> kind of important if you're selling fishing clothing. And the, I remember the last event he looked at me because I would just sit there and I would do impressions and I would like I would walk up and nobody would know who I was. So I would walk up to his table while he's trying to sell something to somebody and then pull a Borat, and like, this is nice, how much, <laughs> and, and he was like, always give me looks, and he would be dying laughing, and the person would be like, oh, I'll, just, I'll just take the shirt, thank you, so <laughs> it was like, made them super uncomfortable, but we always, we always had a good time, and he was like, dude, you should do stand-up comedy, and I was like, ah, man, I don't know, I don't know, so after, after so many times of him telling me that, I was like, dude, fuck it, so we had a bar that we normally go to, I called up the manager, I was like, look, dude, I want to have I want to do a, a comedy night and I want to get just, you know, just on like a day where nothing's going on and just see what happens. So I remember I invited everyone on Facebook, you know, pulled the whole Facebook event, like texting everybody, let them know. And so I was in a fraternity at McNeese and I had, there was about 60 people that came that night. And most of them were people in the fraternity and their girlfriends. <laughs> and so, But I, we had a good time. I went on, I did 30 minutes and it was all just, yeah, it was, not a lot of it was that good, but they all laughed because they were being supportive, you know? Right. <laughs> so, uh, but I remember I remember I ended it with the 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 you No, know, I know you've heard me say that one before, where you're not a person on the presidents. Because yeah, yeah. whenever I had originally started off, I didn't really have very many stories or anything like that. So what I would do is, it almost like, the way it basically, the best way I can think of it is like an like a SNL skit. Like, I would say, okay, I can do these impressions. How can I make a joke or come up with a story or like make these people do something and put them into an environment. That's like, okay, that would be fun. Right. So that's how the president's joke came up. So I was like, okay, you know, I know I can do these voices. Let me just throw them in an environment. That's what a lot of the jokes were. Uh, I did a joke where I grabbed a whole bunch of random things from my house and put them in a box. And I said, yeah, my older cousin just left this box here let me see what's going on with him and just like pulled out all kind of random things it was like oh this must be for this like one of them was uh, like a red nose that you would put on for christmas yeah I was like, oh wow and i like put it like right over my mouth like it was one of those you know oh, sex wrong things wrong. and i was like oh cool <laughs> i know he's been trying to lose weight that'll definitely help him out there <laughs> and so just goofy stuff like that and uh but that that show went well and i was like you know what i'm just gonna keep trying and keep doing it and so uh, got a little bit better at the jokes. And then the next show, it was, like, everyone, like, everyone who, like, knew me, like, they, they they, were like, okay, whatever, he's putting that on. But then after I did that first show, they were like, oh, okay. Like, they started to take it serious because, like, okay, like, he actually is doing this. and he, So, like, the next show I did, like, it got bigger. And it kept getting bigger and bigger until COVID hit, unfortunately. Yeah. I had a show there, and I had, like, 150 people there. And I, whenever – and I bring that up because I remember I looked out in the crowd and like and I and I just remember everyone laughing and having a good time and like bringing people that emotion. I was like, hey, this is what I want to do. I want to make people laugh because like I know that there's like there's so much grief, so much trouble in the world, like heartache. Like we lose people, we have all these different things that go on. But if someone's gonna come out and spend some hard-earned money that they work for all week just to come laugh for thirty minutes right it's worth it for me man.
1: no dude it's, that's <clears throat> that's what's up because that's a so you you talked about the seeing the people laugh right so mm-hmm. i did um when i was living in memphis i did a brewery show and there was like i think like 200 and something people and that was for me at the time and in the, the way that the the place was set up was that it was packed to the gills like we had to have a separate speaker back there so the back could even hear us from That's the first awesome. set so we had a pipe I mean it was it was pretty crazy so I did a whole set and I did some jokes by my mom and so it was good and I, I brought it through and this was this was before she passed away so I do these jokes and at one point I was doing I was waiting for it and I normally would rush and this was the first time that I really understood to just like hold, and I held and I looked and the wave of laughter went through and then it stopped and I heard someone I saw someone put their hand on their friend's mouth, like, wait, he's not like, let him finish sort of thing. And when that happened, it was like, I don't think I've ever had a bigger smile on my face. So I was like, Holy crap. Like these people are just waiting. So they did it and it rolled and it crushed. And then after I had a bunch of people come up to me and talk that cause my mom and I were like, we were just like buddies sort of thing. You know what I mean? So they were like, Oh, is your mom really like that? I'd love to hang out with her whatever. And so after, before, before she passed away, at the end of every one of my sets, I called my mom, no matter what time of day or night it was, and we would talk, and I would just tell her what I said or sort of thing, and I, a lot of times, I wouldn't tell her exactly what I said. Right. <laughs> no. <or, I> <laughs> you're getting like, oh, I told him a story about my friend this, you know, it didn't say like, you know, it was about him, you know, falling over and getting something shoved in his ass or something weird, but like, <laughs> you know, like that. Right. But so the jokes that I told that had her in it, I told to her, so I was like, oh, you know, I told these jokes, and I just like, oh, you did? And I was like, yeah, and then, you know, everybody liked him and they asked you know the, how cool you were and they wanted to hang out with you she you know she always loved that and so for me that memory and when you said that it just reminded me of that because she passed away the next week so that was the last set that I got wow. to do and so that was the last time that I called her about doing jokes and doing whatever and so it was to me that that always hold true and so when you said that it just reminded me of it. it was that first real roll of laughter and I mean it happens in the smaller rooms when you get in one of those that bigger scenario and you kind of see it, you know, and you see that joy and that whatever, it's, it's crazy. So it's, it's fun. And that's, that's definitely something I'll always hold and be like, man, that's, that's the best feeling in the world. I I don't think there was any other feeling I could have besides that. You know what I mean? I felt like I was levitating. I mean how people talk about when they do drugs. I mean, that's how I felt in that moment. I was like, dude, I am high. I'm above third world, you know, bird's eye view, looking out, looking in. It's just, it's one of those things that, it does and it, it it changes everyone for that amount of time and everyone feels a little bit better um I, I couldn't agree
0: more with you man that that's a very powerful and emotional memory i'm very i'm very glad you shared that with me dude. That's, oh, yeah. that's awesome for sure well look man uh i appreciate you coming on to Sawyer saloon with me and so but this is for our upcoming show that we have it is so it is the laughing out loud comedy showcase it's going to be me seth uh Barrett Kyle's going to be hosting, and we're also going to have cold Charter and uh Patrick E.vie from Houston come out. So we're going to have people from all over the state, Louisiana, Texas coming out. Uh, so it's gonna be a Crying Eagle Brewery July 31st at 8 p.m. You can get your tickets at the link that's going to be in the podcast description. Uh, make sure to get your tickets in case we
1: run out of spots. Get your tickets. They sell out. They will sell out. They will. You wanna know why? Because you want to come. I know you
0: do. (laughs) All right. Sounds good, man. Well, all right, yeah. Let's uh so we're gonna close it out. Seth, thanks for coming on, man.
1: Hey man, Jacob, thank you so much. Really appreciate it, man.
0: Absolutely, man. We'll see y'all next time on Sawyer Saloon.